is OGP on a Wednesday. As you know, I'm Adam Armbrecht. I'm joined by Andy Mack. Yesterday, it came out that unfortunately, former Giants head coach Jim Fossil passed away at just the age of 71. And really, if we're going to lead in a conversation about what he meant to the Giants as a team, as an organization, and what he meant to Andy and I specifically, we know where we need to start, friends. So if you got the crosshairs, you got the you got the laser, you can put it right on my chest, I'll take full responsibility. I'm raising the stake right now. If this is a poker game, I'm chips to the middle of the table. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, get out. Okay? This team is going to the playoffs. Andy, welcome into the show, my friend. I still get those little bit of goosebumps around that. Like as a, as a young fan, I specifically like that, that is ingrained in me as man. Remember that time when the, when the head coach was just like, Hey, F you we're, we're doing this thing. And obviously the payoff comes in the results of that season, you know? So I think so many head coaches probably stake their, their name and their reputation on a statement like that. And then it fizzles, but Jim Fossil, made that bold statement. The Giants went on what was one of the best runs that we saw probably as young Giants fans and able to remember those runs for the New York football Giants. And unfortunately, one of the more notable coaches in Giants history passed away, had a a heart attack, went into the hospital, and then through complications, ultimately passed away peacefully, uh, thankfully, I think. But uh, another key figure in the New York football Giants history no longer with us man you you play that clip and it just brings me back to being a kid rooting for the giants and uh wow like you you think about how coaches are now supposed to be diplomatic and they don't give you really any answers they just say everybody works hard or plays hard we're gonna try our best like jim fossil did throw all of his chips into the middle of the table as you know figuratively and literally by making that comment, if the Giants don't make the playoffs, there's literally no chance that Jim Fossil can come back and coach the team the next year. Like it's 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 literally possible. He's like, I'm all in. Like the dealer, like whoever won the hand would take all the chips and be like, Thanks for playing, Jim. We'll see you later. But instead, <laughs> it it galvanized the team. And you know, for anyone that remembers that season, uh, what an epic season it was. The Giants were seven and two. They dumped two games to go to seven and four, and everyone was like, Oh my God, like the world is falling apart. Also remember, Adam, like being seven and two and then all of a sudden being seven and four, like the world was crashing down in 2000. It's a stark difference from being like four and 12 and being like, we're making progress right now. Right. Like it's a completely different era for us. But man, he makes that comment at seven and four. They go out and play the Arizona Cardinals right afterwards and they absolutely throttle them. And literally that speech led to the Giants being successful, going on a magical run. And having this confidence and this swagger that, uh, I don't know, you know, we've had championship teams, you know, come since then. But that team had some kind of confidence and some kind of swagger that is just unmatched. No, in a lot of ways, you know, we'll get into it a little bit because uh, there's some real personal ties into that season uh, for the New York football giants. But, you know, it's in a time frame, just to put it in context too, you know, it's in a time period with, you know, Kerry Collins is the quarterback. He's kind of this guy that's trying to 
reclimate his career with the New York football giants, right? He was almost washed out of the league prior to coming to New York. There's so many really great storylines around that collection of players, the beginning of a big run. This is in and around when Michael Strahan has now been on the team for a few years, obviously, but he is now ascending to the pinnacle of his career, one that ends up lasting, I think, you know, far longer by a lot of standards than, than some people would think. When you talk about players that maybe have big five-year runs, no, it was more like a decade-plus run for Michael Strahan and a lot of other guys. Just the other day, incidentally, real quick, someone had asked on on uh, Twitter, you know, who is your favorite Giants linebacker growing up? And I said, Jesse Armstead. Because he was a part of the transition out of the LT era and then into the next the next group of great giant linebackers and great defensive players on the front, which included Michael Strahan. Um, but all those kind of memories flash back to me in and around this group of players and this team, this era, this big stretch of time. And Fossil, just to give the context too, I think it's easy to think about him as this, this one little moment and, and one of the best ones for the New York football giants, but 112 games coached for the New York football giants. DA wins puts him fourth all time in New York football giants history behind Steve Gwen, Tom Coughlin and Bill Parcells. Pretty elite company. When you talk about the history of the New York football giants. And it's just interesting to think too, when you go through the teams, the coaches, excuse me, this team has had since 2016, McAdoo, then 2017, Spagnola for a little interim piece there, Shermer, 2018, 2020, Joe Judge. We've had four coaches since 2016 and effectively just had 2015 in there, and you can call it five with Tom Coughlin. But when you think about the fact that Jim Fossil coached from 97 to 03 for New York, regardless of the overall, the end results of that, finished with a winning record, by the way, not something that all Giants coaches can can say. There's some handfuls way back in the history of the Giants who coached 12 or 16 games. But the fact that he had 112 under his belt and finished with a 58-53-1 record is also impressive. But six years as the head coach, that was, you know, him leading into, because before it was Dan Reeves and Ray Hadley, you know, but that's 91, 93. So Jim Fossil was the first stepping stone to get to Tom Coughlin. And you end up having two coaches back to back that have very significant runs. And I think reestablish the Giants on that path of stability in the organization. And it starts at the head coach when you can have a length like that players, the team, the organization, the identity runs through the head coach. And Jim Fossil was, was the first piece. He's the precursor to Tom Coughlin. And that's, you know, that, that that's a great tie in to get to what ended up being the next beautiful era for New York football giants with two Super Bowls under Tom Coughlin. Jim Fossil is the stepping stone. I, I don't think that can be overlooked. You know, it's, it's funny you bring up all these different names, and that's what we do when we, when we think back and think about the nostalgia. You know, you talked about the uh, coaches from 2016 onward till we got Joe Judge. You know, when Ray Hanley came in, at, you know, t- to start after, after, you know, coming back after a legendary coach, Giant fans were not happy. I remember being, what, seven, eight, eight years old in the stadium, and I just remember the play calling was bland, the team was terrible, and the, the massive chant from all Giant fans in, in the Atlanta Braves uh, actual tone was, Ray must go. And that was the chant throughout an entire season. The t- every fan was fed up with him. 
Then it went on to Dan Reeves, and people were like, no, this is not the guy. We don't want him. And Jim Fossil came in, and you just felt like it was a little bit different. Now, I will say, you know, Jim Fossil kind of flame the, the candle and, and the flame went out quicker than I kind of thought it would. You know, from 97 to 2003, doesn't actually seem like that much time compared to all the different things that happened while he was he was the coach, you know. There's, uh, you know, there's uh, the game against the Denver Broncos where they took down an undefeated uh, team there. There's the 2000-2001 season that was absolutely amazing. And then it kind of ended unceremoniously with like 2002 San Francisco epic collapse that the Giants had. And then the following year, they get a ton of injuries and, and all of a sudden he's out. Like it felt like it, it burned out so quickly. It was like a comet that like shot up in the air and then fizzled out. Um, but no one can take away from some of those special moments. Adam, I know you especially had something uh, around that Denver Broncos piece, right? A hundred percent. When you talk about coming, you said 98 to 03. So, you know, Kent, you, know you have Kent Graham from Danny Cannell, Danny Cannell from Dave Brown. These are the roll throughs from 97 into 98 and 99, four different quarterbacks, including getting to Kerry Collins. But then you do get there. And in 1998, that's the Denver Broncos coming off a championship. 13 and 0, they come to the stadium. They're looking to get the job done, get, you know, give themselves one more step closer to being an undefeated perfect team, something that everybody chases, those Miami Dolphins, as we know, and capped off really beautifully, if we could. Just so. Blitz on, Giants get it. Graham throws deep down the right side, looking for Toomer. Touchdown! By Toomer, but they rule it out of bounds. What's no, this touchdown? He's in. He's in. What's this touchdown? Yes. He is in. Touchdown! Yes! And the Giants win. They beat that undefeated Denver Broncos. The final score, the Giants 20. That's right, the Giants 20 and the Broncos 16. And there you go. That was the official, as they say, uh, you know, un uh, unmounting of a team that was on the track for destiny. And it's weird. You know, you said about how things kind of fizzled out for, for Jim Fossil in his career. And that's and this is early on in his coaching career with the Giants. But what's really, I think, exciting about it, and this is just in a general terms, getting these little moments, right? Like you can coach, you can coach a team for a decade and be pretty successful and never get a moment like this. And you know, you, you tie it even to the Coughlin era, right? Beating the undefeated Patriots and how that felt like that was this little fire that was going to start start to fuel them as they got into the playoffs. But an accomplishment like that in a relatively bad season for the New York Football Giants, that's how you galvanize a fan base. That's how you bring players around you. So when you're in the infancy of your coaching career and you go ahead and knock off an undefeated Denver Bronco team, boy, does that buy you all the goodwill for a couple more seasons until you hit the next big moment. And as I know, a young, a young Andrew Makowitz, as we often refer to you, the resident New York Football Giants season, generational season ticket holder, you were there for another big moment in uh, New York football Giants history. Allow me to, to tee you up for the memory. Let me know if this resonates with you, sir. Andy Makowitz, where were you, sir, on that, on that bright, shining day? 
let me shout out by saying, uh, you know, a big shout out to my uh, good close friend, uh, Dustin, who texted me after after Jim Fossil passed away. And he's like, you have to talk about the game. You have to talk about the game. And so, Adam, I'm going to go into a little bit of a, a soliloquy. You can feel free to stop me wherever. But January 14th, 2001 is the best in-person sporting event I have ever been to in my entire life. And that is saying a lot considering I've been to World Series games, been to other playoff games. I was at Doc Gooden's no-hitter for the New York Yankees behind home plate. Just pick that name up over there. Oops, sorry, dropped another championship uh, experience that I had over here. Oops. <laughs> no no big deal, you know. Anyways, I will say January 14, 2001, the NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings was the best in-person sporting event I have ever been to in my entire life. And the story, Adam... You know, we've, we've talked on the show about how my family has had season tickets for generations. And obviously at that moment, I was about 14, 15 years old. Um, and I am, let's just say in the pecking order of aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody else for the NFC championship game at home to go to the Super Bowl for our nine tickets that were in a row. Let's just say I wasn't at the top of the list of people that sure. get to go sure. to the game. Right. So, you know, I, I didn't have expectations of, of potentially going to the playoffs. But what happened was my father and my uncles had planned a golf trip around Martin Luther King weekend. They thought they would be on the road. There's no way they're going to host an, an NFC championship game. And Adam, to my great fortune, the Giants storm back and they host this NFC championship game. And all my uncles are away on this golf trip, except for me and my godfather, my uncle Bob. And guess what? They're like, you're in line for the NFC championship tickets. You get to sit in the 300 level and go absolutely nuts. So like, you know, by happenstance, I end up being in the stadium and we are having a blast in the parking lot. We're nervous because that Vikings team was so good. Dante Culpepper, that was like peak Dante Culpepper, you know, like Randy Moss, that, that, that was like the pinnacle of the Minnesota Vikings. Like they were ready to come out and beat the Giants. And in fact, Adam, the Minnesota Vikings were favored going into that game at Giants Stadium, which made everybody a little on edge, but everybody was super excited about, about the game. And you played that clip of Greg Camilla catching an 18-yard touchdown pass. And that still gives me goosebumps to this day because that was, it was four minutes into the game, <laughs> and that officially ended the game as we know it. You know, it, the game starts out two minutes in, Kerry Collins throws a 46-yard touchdown to Ike Hilliard down the sideline. Beautiful ball. The place is going nuts. Like, it, it was insane. And then the op- the next kickoff, the Minnesota Vikings hit the ball back. They fumble the ball on their own 18-yard line. Giants recover. It's like mayhem. Everyone is, like, throwing beers in the stands. People are going berserk. The next play, Kerry Collins throws an 18-yard touchdown to Greg Camella. Like, I, I have never been in a stadium where everyone is looking around like, this is make-believe. This is not happening. This is unbelievable. And I'm glad you played that clip. We're four minutes into the game. It is 13, soon to be 14 nothing. And everyone looked around and was like, this game is over. It is done. They have no chance. It doesn't matter what happens. This game is going to be a route. And, like, in the second quarter, the question was, is the defense going to give up a point? Like, is Minnesota going to score? Because they're not They're not going to be in contention. Are they going to score? Adam, I, I just keep getting goosebumps thinking about that. 
it was such a legendary moment. And outside of the Giants winning a Super Bowl like they did against the Patriots, just being there in person, 80,000 Giant fans screaming. And like right from the onset, right from the tip, there was just no doubt that the Giants were going to win that game. Well, and think about it, too, because it is. I remember uh, growing up, I was in a household. We had a downstairs basement area. And so back to back, it was NFC Championship game. Watched it down in the basement. There were friends over. And it was just this total joyous experience of, of, of a game that you knew you had won. And so quickly, and it really was a different experience just to be like, oh, right. We're just going to watch our team be unstoppable. It wasn't like that was the Giants of that year, per se. Uh, and then follow it up with the Super Bowl experience in the exact same space. So in the same physical space that I was flicking the foosball table and going, yeah, it's we're doing it. We're doing it, friends, to the very next week, just kind of gently letting my finger roll across the foosball table and saying, I wonder if maybe there's something else on that we could we could turn to here because things have taken a turn. But and interestingly enough, in that season, because of the way that NFC Championship game goes, it's worth noting, I just pulled up the stat lines here, in that year, where Kerry Collins is the quarterback. He's 28 years old, like coming right into his prime. He's trying to reclimate 22 touchdowns and 13 interceptions that season. 58.8% completion percentage. Like there's nothing about nothing about that season would have indicated, hey, guess what though? You wouldn't believe what these guys are capable. We just we've been playing possum the whole time. So that I think really feeds into the experience as well as fans when you watch that game because there was no expectation that that was going to be possible. You didn't think that the Giants offensively were going to drop a forty burger on the Vikings, let alone shutting them out. And that arguably, up until and including the playoff runs of Eli Manning, right? That was the that was the greatest Giants game. Of my youth, easily, bar none. That was the thing that you hung your hat on was remember that time that we defeated that Minnesota Vikings team with those talented players. We didn't just beat them, we embarrassed them. And then you just, you, you ignore what happened in the Super Bowl, but you say that was the culmination of everything. And that's again why I think when we talk about Jim Fossil and you talk about even Kerry Collins, it's, Kerry Collins is not a Hall of Fame quarterback, but he, he represents and holds a very special little niche inside of, of Giants fans of a certain demographic and age where that means everything to them. Because if you were and we were like, so we were alive for Bill Parcells and the, and the Giants Super Bowls. Also, I was four or five years old, so I don't know how much it meant to me. People that are in their 20s or their 30s, by the time you get to Kerry Collins and that run for the Giants, you might look at it and go, yeah, great. You did that in the championship, but what about the Super Bowl? For me, that was, that was the pinnacle. The fact that we were even in the Super Bowl. I have newspaper clippings of putting down the bird seed for the Ravens and all those character drawings that they do. I still have those cutouts, cutouts of that because it felt like I don't know when I might see this again. For the New York football team. I don't know when we're going to be in a Super Bowl again. And it turned out to be relatively quickly once we got Eli Manning. But you didn't know that. In the moment, it was like, hey, savor the flavor, buddy. Because you may not be back here for another 10 or 15 years. You know, you talk about Kerry Collins. You, you talked about how he had 22 touchdowns on the year. He threw for a, a Giants record that still stands today. Five touchdown passes. He had 22 in, in 16 games. He throws five in the NFC Championship as an underdog in January to go to the Super Bowl. Like, like, he, like you're saying, by, by the way, 22 is his career high. <laughs> that was his career it, touchdown season. 
Adam Heath, I remember all of these stats. I can tell you who he threw touchdowns to in that game because it's just so unspeakable. You know, he had 381 yards passing. It, it's like it doesn't compute. Ike Hilliard had two touchdowns. Joe Jaravicius had a touchdown. Greg Camella had a touchdown. Uh, uh, Amani Tour had a touch, touchdown. Like the, the, the idea that he could spread it around to all these different players, have a career game, in one of the biggest games of his career, obviously the Super Bowl was the next one where the Ravens defense uh, was was all time great. But that game was so special. So, like you said, anyone that's under the age, I mean, anyone that's under the age of 50, that's kind of the, the, the pinnacle. If you're in your early 40s, yeah, you were you were a child when Parcells came up. But those late 90s teams with Strahan and Armstead and, and things like that really resonate. But, Adam, I, I have a I have a question for you. And this is kind of a little bit of a hypothetical that, um, you know, we talk about that Minnesota Vikings game. And it was the peak for me in terms of my enjoyment as a fan. But it also was never in doubt. Like the game didn't have that like pizzazz of catching the ball in the quarter of the end zone with no time left. Like, and, and you need a little pain to experience joy. So I have a question for you. You you are you also run a very successful Brooklyn Nets podcast. They are dominating through the playoffs and they look amazing. Now, when you talk about a fan experience, what is the optimal enjoyment level for a fan to have in one particular game? Success for the team, successful runs, adversity like do you just want a 41 nothing no doubter so that you celebrate the entire time? Or do you want a little like pain to know that you feel something and then see the team overcome adversity to get that sigh of relief and joy? Like what is the sweet spot for a fan to experience bliss and joy, you know, rooting for that team? Well, think about, so from a Giants perspective, like think about the the year after when Plexico Burris and, you know, the gun incident in the nightclub and he goes down, that's a year where the Giants are rolling where this is like repeat opportunity. This is actually the team that, you know, surprised everybody the year prior, but now we're firing all cylinders. Eli Manning is probably having the peak of his career and it all gets taken away from you, but there's high expectations. There's a little bit of disappointment just the other day game two of the second round playoff series where the Brooklyn Nets absolutely destroyed the bucks. When you think about it right now for the Nets, where you have two superstars hardened out currently. But when you have superstars like that, when the expectations, when you're favored, favorited to win the, the championship, there is such a high floor for what experience is going to satisfy you. If you lose a game, generally speaking, like when the, when the, when the Nets lost to the Celtics one game in the first round, fans were like, what, what's going What's the deal here? What exactly is happening here? Go back just a handful of years prior, or even go back to um, the, the Jason Kidd. You have the Kenyon Martin era with Kerry Kittles that stems all the way back from the mid-90s generation of Nets fans into Richard Jefferson, into Vince Carter. When they're going to the uh, championships against the Lakers, against the Spurs, you're so far the underdog that there's no expectation of you winning, right? But the entire playoff run, Every game and every win is peak excitement. It's peak level joy that you're experiencing. So I think same thing with the Giants and the Eli Manning Super Bowl runs. The the underdog element, 
makes every single accomplishment so much more enjoyable and so much more heart pounding because you don't have any expectations they're going to be able to do it. As a pure fan, it's bubbling under the surface of, oh, oh my God, you think they could win this game? They're up by, you know, NBA. They're up by six with, with a minute 40 to go. It's a two-possession game. If they, you know, don't foul anybody, good defense, whatever it may be, big three-pointer, like all of a sudden those shots fall and you start to feel that tangible belief that you can accomplish this. I don't think once you get to a, a level of expectation, it's like, well, once we get to the finals, then we'll start to think about whether or not, what does it feel like? Can we get excited about it? But when you have teams that I followed as a Nets fan all through the 90s. Remember, Nets, watch the Last Dance documentary. It was the Nets, baby, that lost that first-round playoff series to the Chicago Bulls. They went on their, they went on their last run there. When you have underdog teams and players that also have been around that team, I mentioned Kerry Kittles. He was on that roster for a number of years before they got into, that play, into those playoff runs, and he was able to be a long-tenured Nets player. But he was there for the bad times. So when you get to the good you, you identify the players and you go, oh, man, this is a dude that gets it. He's been there, right? Like he took the journey with us as fans. And I think there's a part of that, too, when you look at, at Giants rosters that had success. They had bad years. They, they surged to the culmination of it, right? A guy like Michael Strahan. How did it feel when he finally got to win a championship? It was like, man, you were there with the Giants and Kerry Collins. And you, oh, my God, you got totally blown out and destroyed in the Super Bowl, though. Finally you're able to get yourself back there and check that box years later. Those are the little things I think that as a pure fan really create the atmosphere of a lasting memory, right? It's the 41, nothing over the Vikings in the NFC championship game that holds with every single giants fan because the expectation was not that the, the team did not have the talent to do that. The quarterback had no track record of being able to throw for five touchdowns. Like none of those things were, were even in the mindset. And then to tie it back in where this episode all began, when you have a head coach come out like that and make that kind of statement off of a two game losing streak. And then the team takes this ride. Now you're talking about being on, you know, a month and a half, two month run with a team where every single game you were locked into them because they started to have this thing. The energy starts to happen and you, you feel that inside of the stadium, inside the arena with the fan base. And that's, I think how you end up creating these lasting kind of memories to, uh, to run on a little. Well, yeah. I mean, thanks for giving us a, a crash course in, in the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, former New Jersey Nets. I think uh, everyone can see the passion you have for, for your, uh, you can't bring, your, them up. You can't bring them up with me. You're not, well, but but it, it brings me back to like the comparison of the 2012 NFC Championship game was the Giants versus the 49ers. It ends in, in a great situation for the Giants heading to the Super Bowl because Kyle Kyle Williams muffs a punt, the Giants recover it, and they they head to the championship game. Now that game had me running around, pacing around my place, just like yelling, screaming, hooting, and hollering trying to like be a fan, but being so nervous that we're going to lose that game that it, it was, it was debilitating. Now you have that. And then the giants recover the, the muff pump fumble and, and they end up winning the game. I felt such excitement and such joy from that, but is that better than like, it's a coin flip. Are we going to win this game against the Vikings? And you just absolutely throttle them and you have a three hour celebration. Like what, what is better? Is it, is it the anxiety paying off in the end? Or is it just like, we're having a party, like Rod Stewart style, like dancing to the music. I, I, can't, I can't really understand 
what feels the best as a fan. No, that, that's the tricky part. By the way, when you mentioned the 49ers, because we're in this Jim Fossil era, I, I didn't go. <laughs> I oh, didn't you, go you went to 2003. You're down in the red zone. You drop back. Listen, the whole thing is a, is a disaster. And also, eligible offensive lineman downfield gets totally mauled. No flag on the play. No opportunity for a bonus play as time expires. Yeah, that, that's where my mind went. Which- yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. 39-38. You know, funny story about that was um, – I, it was like towards the end of the third quarter, I was like, okay, the Giants are up 24. This is comfortable. I'm feeling great. I'm like, I'm going to go out and go see some friends now. And I left. And when I showed up at their house, like the Giants had lost the game. I'm like, what just happened? I can't believe that. Uh, you know, word to the wise, never take uh, any lead for granted, especially uh, with the New York Giants. But, you know, to, to be honest with you, the, the whole idea of Jim Fossil brings up that sweet spot that you talked about where it's kind of the bridge between you know that Parcells era to the Eli Manning era, you kind of have this little in-between where we do make a Super Bowl and we do have a run. And the team had its ups and downs. You beat the Bronco, 13-0 Broncos at home. You win the championship game 41-0. Then all of a sudden you get blown out in the in the title game. The next year you come back, you, you inexplicably blow a 24-point lead against the 49ers. And then fossils out the next year. Like that's how quickly yeah. it ends. You go from pushing all the chips in the center of the table everyone rallying around you to like 18 months later, you're no longer the coach of the giants, which is why it was a little bit unfortunate. And um, you know, it led us to Tom Coughlin, obviously, which, which is a huge success for the giants, but Jim Fossil holds an important spot in giants history. You talked about where he ranks in, you know, in, in giants lore. I mean, he's clearly a top five coach for the giants in, in, in terms of what he's done. Um, and man, I will always forever have that memory of January 14th, 2001. Shout out to that defense in that NFC championship, like Jesse Armstead, Mike Barrow, Kevin Lewis, Brendan Short in the linebacking corp. One last note about that game, because I feel like everyone that's listening is not in their head about this. There is one tie-in to that game, which I think is a, is a good one to, to end on, Adam. And that is Kerry Collins threw for 381 yards. Five touchdowns was unbelievable. One other person for the Giants threw a pass in that game who was it adam if you had to guess who was it one other threw a pass in that game i have zero i have nothing i have, I have zero i'm not even gonna try to i've done this before where i pulled one out i have nothing to pull out it is one new york giants offensive coordinator jason garrett <laughs> from the past to the present the tie-ins are real my friends at the end of the day, it is, of course, a, a it's a sad reason to, to, to dip back into the New York football Giants memories. And also, it's a special way to, to remind everybody that someone like Jim Fossil, relatively, I would, have, I would have no clue who this individual was. If he had been a coach in the NFL, I would know the name and not know the face. I would know the face, but not be concerned about what he had done or not. And the simple fact that sports, as often it does, brings people into this collective experience together and ties us to individuals, players, and coaches that that really do represent lasting memories and fixtures in our youth. That's what Jim Fossil is for me as a Giants fan. He represents the first swell of New York football Giants fandom where they were starting to achieve things and starting to accomplish things on the field. 
that entrenched me as a fan that galvanized me to stay with them through the dark times. That's what Jim Fossil was. So certainly he's very high in my personal list of New York football giants that meant a lot to me as a kid growing up rooting for big blue. You can, of course, follow us on the podcast, rate, review, subscribe it wherever you download. We've officially made our transition uh, onto Anchor again, so you can find us there and on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere that you need it, really. And as always, as much as we can on YouTube as we work our way through the offseason. One last time, friends, we're pushing our chill in. This team is going to the playoffs. And as Andy McElwood would want, need, and demand that you know, Condolences to the Fossil family, and as always, let's go Big Blue.